everyone. Welcome to the show Off the Record. I'm your host, Aram Mokamov. Thanks for tuning in. On the show, I'm going to be interviewing well-known CEOs and VCs about how to spend the money you raise effectively and what mistakes to avoid. My guests on the show have been in the trenches as entrepreneurs, as VCs, and have lots of practical advice to share from company stories, failures, and successes. Uh, as a founder, you'll hear what you can do better when raising money and after you have raised the money, all in a 30-minute conversation. And if you happen to be a VC, you're also in the right spot because you'll get to learn from your peers and, and, and their perspectives. This is episode number five of the series, and I'm here with Chad Stender from 76 Capital. Uh, Chad Stender is the managing director of 76 Capital and is uh, known as an entrepreneur, venture capitalist, tireless networker, and prioritizes giving back. So thank you so much for having uh, you on our show, Chad. Ram, it's great to see you. Appreciate you having me. And I look forward to this conversation today. Awesome. Likewise. Very excited. Um, let's kind of just jump into it then, Chad. I wanted to great. start off by... Um, asking a little bit about 76 Capital and what your role is there and what your focus is in the firm, as a firm. Sure, yeah, 76 Capital, we're a 21 year running venture capital fund. Uh, there's always been a common thread and, and our founder, Wayne Kimmel, started everything in 1999 as a 29 year old and hustled and, and worked with another partner and they went out and, and raised their initial, um, initial venture capital fund really on no track record, but it was the rise of the internet. Um, they had a great thesis. They were completely correct on how they were gonna be able to identify the companies, what the companies uh, were gonna be able to do together with their capital, and it was very successful. And off they went. And there's been a common thread of 76 Capital has always been early stage investors, really big believers in working with the founders and the founding team. Uh, obviously putting the capital in, but once that check is written into the company, it's hopping on their side of the table and doing anything and everything to add value. And whether that's business development, strategy, helping to make strategic hires, and then really just being there for the companies and the founders. I think anyone that's tuning in and watching understands that it is a long journey. It's a slug. It's difficult. It's a roller coaster. And you really need others to be there with you and for you. And so 76 Capital has always been early stage, whether you want to define it as pre-seed to Series A. Um, mm -hmm. We're happy to be the first professional money into the company. And so we've had multiple funds through the years. And then in 2015 into 16, we saw a couple things happening. Early stage venture had gotten incredibly competitive in kind of your traditional tech-enabled companies, whether B2C or B2B. And that was always the space that we had played in at 76 Capital. So we had been successful in doing that, but at the same time you started uh, you know, fighting over deals. Uh, mm -hmm. The valuation started to really uh, ramp up there. And so you're really getting less value for your capital. And um, we saw an opportunity. We saw things happening in sports. We saw what our network was doing. And we realized there was this massive opportunity and this massive shift in the sports space. And that was really stemming from looking around and seeing the value of the teams and then who the ownership groups and the individuals owning the teams. And there was this massive change from a lot of your traditional ownership uh, individuals and groups being coming from real estate or oil or family money. And all of a sudden you had tech entrepreneurs and innovators that were buying teams. And whether it's Ballmer or Cuban 
or Gilbert, uh, Michael Rubin here in Philadelphia. And so we realized there's going to be this need for an overhaul of technology. All of a sudden, everyone is viewing sports differently and engaging, but people are consuming sports like never before. And they social, the rise of social media. And so like we always do at 76 Capital, we run at an opportunity. We launched our next fund, 16 into 17, and all on the focus of sports. So we're still early stage investors. We're still working with the founders, but we're looking for companies that are using technology to disrupt sports. Overall, the esports industry, and then sports betting. And we, we timed that very well with the overturning of PASPA, May 14th, 2018. And um, nice. we've, uh, we've built our portfolio to date. It's been really successful. And uh, we're working with our companies and we're actually on to our, to our next fund with the same thesis and focus. Awesome. Well, well congratulations on all, all the success. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, I mean, how did you get involved with 76 and what were you doing before? Yeah. For myself, it's, it's been incredibly rewarding and, and right place at the right time following all my passions. I started working in the sports and entertainment industry. Uh, right out of school, I went down to Orlando and worked at Walt Disney and the Disney Corporation, uh, which is an amazing experience. And, and having just graduated school, it was um, an incredible place to go uh, post-graduation. I uh, came back up, uh, we're in the Philadelphia area, came back up to the Northeast of the country uh, for my uh, graduate program. And my first, um, I would say, career at post-grad school was working for Comcast Spectacor with, at the time, on the Philadelphia Sixers, the Philadelphia Flyers, minor league hockey team, um, the Wells Fargo Center here in Philadelphia, managed a lot of properties across the sports world. And it was an amazing first opportunity for myself. The people I worked with are incredible. So many things that have been successful for me in my career all stem from those first few years working for Comcast Spectacor. So I got to work across the different teams and always I've been a sports nut and playing sports and, and it was a perfect way to start. Um, but after a few years of doing it, I've also always had this passion for entrepreneurship and innovation. And it was the right time and the right place. I was getting serious with my now wife. And so I realized it was kind of the right time to make a move if I was ever going to do it. And so I left the sports and entertainment space to figure out the overall innovation scene. And um, I did everything from um, looking to purchase companies, to start companies. And then ultimately the big jump off for me is I was the number two at a startup in the sports space. And that was really a, a jump off. And ultimately I did that for a few years and what led me to the team at 76 Capital. And so it was based on my sports connections and that startup experience. And in 2012, um, it was the right opportunity at the right time with 76 Capital based on what they were looking to do. And uh, teamed up with Wayne and, and uh, some of the other uh, 76 Capital members and, and off we went eight years ago. Oh, time flies, huh? <laughs> um, I, I wanted to ask, you, you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier in, in, the, in the call. Um, there was a lot more competition that came you know, that started coming up, you know, on the investment side and um, in this specific focus area that you're in. What do you think are some of the major factors that led you guys to making it through, even though there was an influx of competition? Sure. I, I think first and foremost in venture, it's your track record. It's what other people are out there saying to, you know, saying about you. It's the deals that people are sending. And when you have that network and you've had those successes, 
you're still seeing the top companies. You're still a top referral source. Um, I think the competition part when everyone, so in the late nineties, there were very few early stage investors. And then kind of fast forward about 10 years, almost everyone and their mother had an early stage venture fund, was an angel investor, was putting capital into play. And it got incredibly, incredibly competitive. And so that really led us to say, you know, look, we can keep, we can keep competing and we'll be successful and we'll have other funds. Um, but we're, we're built by innovators. We're, we're built by entrepreneurs ourselves at 76 Capital. And we're big believers in that we need to keep innovating. We need to keep disrupting ourselves and we need to keep trying to run down opportunities. And we saw something in sports. I think we've been right about our thesis. I can say that with confidence and it's proving out. And really there's going to be a massive shift the next 10 years and sports is going to be the leading vertical and leading driver. And mm -hmm. you're going to see this globally. Um, and obviously it's only been accelerated because of the pandemic that we're all experiencing right now. No, I, I see it. Everybody's at home now, you know, trying to figure out how they can watch a, a game virtually or digitally through their screen. So it's definitely a new horizon, I think, for the sports industry uh, as well. Um, I want to kind of segue into like your role as an investor. Like um, we've, we've spoken now to a few different people and every investor has a different kind of uh, perspective in terms of how they get involved, how they help. What is the role of an investor in, in your terms, in, in your view? Sure. Really it's to each their own and, and every investor has their own brand, their own reputation and what they want to get out and why they want to get involved with the company, why they want to put their capital in and their capital to work. And it's what I just said around, I mean, we are entrepreneurs and innovators first, and then we're venture capitalists. So we really understand that side of the table. Like I said, I mean, I came from the innovation space before investing. I can mm -hmm. empathize, I can relate. I understand a lot of the challenges, tribulations, and what it means to be successful as a company. And so for us, and, and I can only speak from, from our lens, that's the part we love. We love the sourcing and we love, we obviously, you know, really dig deep with, on the evaluation. And our, and our overall philosophy at 76 Capital is to only work with smart and nice entrepreneurs that are truly passionate about what they're doing and are building mm -hmm. game-changing companies. And that's really what we're about at 76 Capital. So we want to get in and we want to do everything that we can. And we believe and we, we've done it. We can truly accelerate our companies, whether that's using our network, using our relationships, using um, our experience in industry and moving these companies along. And then the biggest part for all these startups is that ultimately you need some sort of exit strategy. And mostly, you know, it's usually going to be some form of M&A. And then occasionally you'll, you'll see a public offering. I think it's going to be very interesting the next uh, two to three years, uh, given all the liquidity via the SPACs that are come aboard. And it's something that we continue to look at at 76 Capital. Um, so I think that's going to really open up even more opportunities for companies to exit. Um, but that's a big part, obviously, of this, of this ecosystem is getting going, accelerating, and then how do you ultimately exit and what does that look like? And can it be structured properly where, you know, the acquisition property is excited about what they're getting. And as a company, you're excited about what their next future is going to look like for the founding team, the employees and the investors all together. Mm -hmm. And um, 
at 76 or just you personally, you know, as an investor, when, when, when you bring a company, you know, to, to the team and you guys decide to invest in them, how like different investors are hands off or hands on at different stages. I mean, how, how involved are you once you kind of give them the, that check and um, they're kind of then going and fulfilling some of their obligations, which they make to you? Like, are, are you less involved? Are you more involved um, after that point? I'd say overall is in the venture space, we're more involved than most other investors. Um, from the jump, we try to sit on the board. We try to take a board seat. And that happens about 50% of the time with our investments. But whether we have a formal uh, board role or whether we're an advisor or a strategic partner in addition to the capital, we want to be involved. We want to be there. And it's, there's different ways of being involved. I think we all have different visions and, and we try to be very transparent up front. Right. We want our entrepreneurs to pick up the phone, to call us, to text us, to Slack us, to email us. It doesn't matter. Um, and whether that's at six in the morning or at two in the morning. Right. Like we just want to be there for, for the companies that we're investing in. And we believe that that's a big part of, of adding the value and being helpful. Most of the time we're discussing business, but at the same time, you know, entrepreneurs are just like all of us with probably even more pressure. And they have family members that get sick. They have stresses in their life. And sometimes they just need someone to speak with and someone, you know, a shoulder to lean on. And, and so it's, we're literally there from providing the value in business, but also kind of being that, that friend and that confidant and advisor. And if that's helpful and if that kind of keeps the company on track, um, we feel like we're doing our job as well. But we, we really like to be involved um, and, and value add. No, that's great. That's great to hear. Some, some investors, uh, it's like they expect the, the leadership team that they're giving the money for to have some, some of that experience or to, to manage it. But I'm really curious. I mean, uh, where, maybe you could talk about what you do, but where do you think investors in general can help founders more like in their day to day or like in terms of partnerships or networks kind of, can you give us some examples of where, uh, help can go other than just providing capital? Sure. You know, we always equate it and, and for any of the, the listeners and, and people watching, you know, it, it's like having a bunch of kids. And if we, if we get in and it's, it's a pre-seed pre deal and it's maybe the founding team and their pre-market pre-revenue, it, it's like having a newborn child. And every parent's old to, to see their kids grow up and be successful and, and to achieve what they want to. And it's always that fine dance about, you know, do you, you want the company and the kid to get close to the edge, but obviously you don't want them to fall down and get hurt. And so you have to be in that communication feedback of where the reverb with a company of understanding and having them feel okay to truly understand and let you know what's going on at the right time and in the right place. Because the worst mm -hmm. part is when companies, their burn moves at a faster pace than they realize they need to hire and they don't have the capital for it. Or there's things outside of, obviously, the business plan is, is tossed to the side the moment you know your capital gets in and you, you get going, right? There's a lot of ebb and flow to it. And so, you know, it's really trying to be proactive, to see around the corner, to look six to 12 months out before these potential pitfalls happen. And, you know, like I said, 76 Capital has been around 21 years. We've seen a lot 
we've seen a lot of great things. We've also been through a lot of struggles, challenges. And so any, any lessons or anything we can do to put our companies in the, in the best place possible, we feel like it's a big, a big part of our role and our job. And the great thing is we want other investors with us. We're big believers in co-investing and, and helping the companies raise capital and helping the companies bring in other investors that want to help and want to be value add to the companies. And that's another part of our role. And so not just, we want to be strategic. We want other people. We want even smarter people, even uh, people that can add just as much value around the table. And we know that's going to be a winning recipe for our investments. Do you have any, I mean, I'm in the last, since March, right? Since the whole pandemic yep. kicked in, I'm sure there's been a lot of like, holy shit moments that came up with maybe some companies or is there any examples that maybe you could share of like some companies that had to maybe pivot or change their focus, you know, during this whole period, I'm sure businesses across the board were affected. What have you seen and how did you help? Yeah. In this current sports portfolio, we have 13 companies and we've seen everything during this pandemic. We are incredibly fortunate that uh, none of our companies to date have gone out of business due to the pandemic. Um, unfortunately, we have a lot of friends in the industry and, and they're investing in different verticals and the pandemic has set back certain industries and there's mm -hmm. truly nothing you can do about certain business models and cash flow, um, you know, was accelerated and based on, you know, if uh, you lost customers, so on and so forth. But we, we saw everything. We had a couple companies that definitely had drastic setbacks due to the pandemic and certain industries that they relied on for revenue for their sales funnels stopped operating for, for the last six, seven, eight months. Wow. Um, at the same time, we found a couple opportunities for investment and the crazy part is trying to invest in this environment. And the same thing is trying to raise capital in this environment. It's incredibly challenging, especially if you're not able to connect in person, but everyone's doing their best. And the few, uh, we made three investments so far, three new companies during this pandemic and all three are moving at a very quick pace. And, and we think we chose the right companies that can operate during the pandemic, but obviously post pandemic because, because, will be coming out of this um, hopefully sooner than later. And then the last piece is we had your kind of initial question is we had a couple of companies that changed their business model or started operating in an area that they had thought about, but the pandemic made them accelerate it or made them shift off their initial focus. And it's been phenomenal to take a business that was more offline and moving online or more of a, more of a blend between an offline and online business. And so I think the nimble companies, the creative entrepreneurs have been able to succeed. And um, at the same time, it's just been challenging all around and people are out there to help each other for the most part. And we've seen a lot of positive energy out there. And in, in those specific uh, examples, if I, if I can ask, um, when a company needed to like change change gears or change focus, how, how did they approach you and what type of analysis did you do when you were like, okay, that's a good direction. You should, you should double down on that. We're, we're okay with this. Yeah. I mean, the moment the pandemic occurred and we realized, I mean, we were immediately, you know, on constant calls and in communication with all of our companies, all the leadership and talking through everything from most importantly, their cash position, their team, how they're going to operate, how it's going to be safe. 
but we looked at at the business plan for this the next six to 12 months you know first and foremost is it feasible <laughs> are you going to be able to do what you thought you were going to do prior to the pandemic you know your revenue sources are they still going to be there for you or are you going to need to recreate that wheel are you going to need to change your operations are you going to need to change roles on your team and, and so it was really that that we that we quickly got into okay so we're going to need to focus on different areas to monetize and and how do we adapt and move into that but we can't sit still we can't wait and hope that this is a short term because initially people thought schools were going to be closed for two weeks or yeah. it could be a 60-day setback and we're all here mid-november and the time you know the timeline's still up in the air and so um it's really again it's back to our to our ml at 76 capital to to push to make things happen to be proactive and um you know it's challenging for for all companies but we've we've seen companies that have been successful to date through this nice no it's, it's it's great to hear how supportive and how um involved you are with some of the companies that you're working with so it's it's, it's nice to hear that i'm sure a lot of uh people who are going to be listening are going to really appreciate that there's a investors like you out there so um during this whole yeah and craziness. just just on that note i mean please reach out to us uh, our site 76capital.com my email is chad at 76capital.com all spelled out but please reach out to us i mean we're always looking for our next company to invest in our our next uh, set of founders to back and get behind and to work with and so if you're innovating in the sports space please reach out to us awesome um, Chad, I wanted to um, ask about, you know, in early stage companies that you, you guys typically invest in, like um, pre-seed, seed stage, a lot of the emphasis around uh, the investment is like, per se, like around the idea, the vision and the team, right? Um, but startups can still inherently kind of fail regardless of how good their team and their idea is because of bad decisions or bad investments. Is there any advice that you could share on where companies at that stage should not be distributing or deploying their capital post-race, like, like big kind of red flags or no-nos that you could share? You know, the, the reason we're all talking today and the reason we're all in this space is it, is, it couldn't be more exciting and at the same time challenging and, and daunting. I mean, you're taking a blank canvas and trying to create a masterpiece, right? Like that's what startups, you have this, complete blank slate and you're trying to make your piece of art your mosaic from it and so not every time you sit down and i'm a horrible artist so i'm probably the last person that should be talking about art but for we're all trying to create something in, in startups and venture and entrepreneurship and it doesn't always go the way you expect and oftentimes there's external factors right just like the pandemic that you can't it can't be in your initial business plan. You can't plan for it, but it's how you handle it and what you do with it. And whether you just raised your initial seed capital or you're, you know, you raised a decent series A or B or C, it doesn't matter. I think too frequently what happens is you get so wrapped up in the amount of capital you just raised or the amount of capital you're about to raise in another round or think you're going to have no problem raising your next round. And, each mile milestone with the company comes with another set of expectations, different benchmarks, and you got to keep finding your way and, and kind of 
staying even keel. Because like I said, every company defines success differently, but until for startups, until you've had that M&A or until you've gone public and you found that liquidity, just because you raise another round of capital doesn't mean you've been successful. It's, it's part of the journey. And so it's continuing to be good fiduciaries, continuing to understand what needs to happen over the next 12 to 24 months, 36 months, depending on how much capital you have and how, and what stage you are. But too frequently companies get too far over their skis and they get too excited or they're too confident. And you need to just be very set in your game plan on your execution and how you're going to continue to operate. And like I said, you, you've got to try to try to, plan for the unexpected Mm -hmm. and and that's a big part of what we're all doing and uh, having spoken on having worked with a lot of early stage startups um initially when they get that first big break right they they raise their first external round through a vc firm or you know a bunch of angels um it's kind of like a big break a break like okay like people actually believe in my idea how should I go about spending this money? Um, I wanted to ask, how do you balance out that distribution of, of post-raise funds towards like the company and, and its needs versus like say increasing salaries for like the first time or actually having a salary even for the first time as a founder or like a initial co-founding team because they've been bootstrapping or um, keeping it very minimal to not you know, increase burn too much. But when they have that external capital come in, What's your perspective on like being able to justify paying yourself close to market rate as a founder or, you know, having some of those type of luxuries now? Sure. Uh, You know, it all needs to be figured out before the capital comes in. Okay. But, but, you know, every, every investor wants their founding team motivated, but, we're not the type that says, you know, don't take a salary or take very little salary or keep eating ramen and tuna. But at the same time, like I just said, because you raised your first round or your next round of capital, it doesn't mean that you've made it. It means that you've gotten to another mile marker and benchmark and what you've done warranted the additional funding round. Obviously it's it's needed to some aspect, whether it's growth or whether you need it to, to kind of bridge to your next growth. Um, but we're all for the team financially being incentivized, of course. And, and then I think a big part of it is the culture that you create. And a lot of that can be done without true capital. But we want all of our companies to be good stewards of the capital. But that doesn't mean that they don't get to take a salary. But again, it needs to be planned out, thought through prior to the capital coming in. So everyone's expectations are met. But really, I think as founders, we want to make sure that the team from top down, that everyone is motivated, working together and driving towards what that what that ultimately could look like for success for the company, for the investors. Um, But by by all means, I mean, at, at some point, we all need to stop stressing about paying the bills and rent. And so we can focus more on building the company. And so there's definitely a, a dance and a fine line that should be figured out between the, the founders and the investors. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for that answer, Chad. A um, couple more questions. Uh, thanks sure. again for everything. Um, 
I wanted to ask about predictability around fundraising timelines. So like now with the pandemic or even before, or even like after this whole thing is over, um, you know, we've spoken to different investors and, and founders who say that you need never a good time to go get money when you have no cash. <laughs> Number one, that comes, comes up a few times. And another one is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> another one is you should always ask for a little bit more than what you really need. And in terms of like a cushion, it's, it ranges from say three to six months more runway than what you actually are asking for. Um, what is your perspective on that in terms of like timelines and the ask of, uh, of how much capital you need in terms of the logic behind the asks? Yeah. Look, I think both those points are, are good advice and everyone. And the funny thing is when we're, like I said, I've been an entrepreneur, I've been on the innovative side and I've also now obviously been an investor and we raise capital too. Venture funds are out there raising capital for their next fund. And just like companies, the more successful you've been, the track record that you have, the easier it is to raise capital. It doesn't matter which side you're on. But the one constant is it always takes longer than expected, than what is hoped. And I agree that take more capital than what you think you might need, right? It's a dance between how much um, equity you're willing to give up and potential dilution depending on how you take in the capital. Um, but the big thing is, we all know fundraising is, is a full-time job. It's a lot of calls. It's a lot of diligence. It is a lot of information that needs to be there so the other side can make a proper decision. And it all takes time while you're trying to run your company, run your business. And so always start earlier. It's easier to cultivate those investor relationships to the initial point that you made when you don't need the capital. We all have been there when, when things are, are a little more on the desperate side and it gets trickier and you start making decisions, you start doing things that you wouldn't have been as comfortable with when you had more of the capital to work with. And obviously the stress just goes up. So definitely start those conversations earlier than you think. People want to see the connections and want to see the connective tissue. And so provide that for them, provide investor updates, whether people are investors and, and it obviously share with you know, share with the right groups, the right information. But I always say you're, you're kind of always fundraising and you always want the process. You always want it to get really ramped up, you know, six to 12 months before you, before you need it. The best fundraising is done when you call a couple investors and they put the capital in and you get the terms and you get it done. No one ever said you have to go and, and call on 50, 100 potential investors to get the 98th person to say yes. Like there's no rule out there, but I've heard more stories that way than calling three investors that you kind of had lined up that you've been in conversation that were excited about when you were going to raise capital again. Mm -hmm. And they're the first, you know, that's a short list of the calls that you make and it goes that way. I've heard stories and I've seen it. And that's the way to go. But unfortunately, the mass of fundraising goes to spending a, a large chunk of time and energy and stress fundraising. So um, my, my thing is always be fundraising and always start the process much earlier than you think you're going to need to. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Thanks for that, for that insight. Um, some other people 
some people say in general that every time you raise uh, every round, you dilute and each round, you know, can be from any from 10 to 20%, depending on the company and things like that. Are there any tips, suggestions um, you could give to other founders in terms of how to avoid kind of any hairy mistakes that you make during that process around dilution across different rounds. Um, any suggestions there? That's, that's the business that we're all in, <laughs> you know, but there's not, there's not one way to slice it. There's a plethora of ways to raise capital, um, to take in capital. Um, and it doesn't always have to be straight equity and dilution. And, you know, crowdfunding is massive now and it's understood by a lot. And, and so, you know, there's loans, there's, there's, you got to do what's best for you as a founding team and for the company. But yes, you're going to raise capital and you're probably going to take, like you just said, 10 to 25%, maybe 30% per round. But without stating the obvious, the job of the companies and the founding team is to make the company that much more valuable between the rounds of funding so the dilution can be less. And you can start getting to the larger slugs of capital. But again, what, what are we doing here? What's our goal? Why are, why are we raising the capital? What are we trying to get to? And, and I think, unfortunately, companies get obsessed with raising, raising the next round of capital. For what? Right? Like, ultimately, what are you trying to drive to? And that's the investor's job to really work with the company. And I think it's most important to have the symbiotic relationship between the investors and the founding team that can work together and really, and really drive to. And that's challenging because you get friction across different investors on the cap table and, and on the board. And at times friction between the investors and the founding team based on what's, what's going on. And um, again, like I said, we all love with this. We all think it's a lot of fun, but it is never easy. And hopefully, you know, you've got really good investors that you're working with and you have really good founding team and it, and it's, um, you got to challenge each other and you have to push, but at the same time, you're all working towards the common goal and that's your prevail. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I always like wrapping these, uh, conversations up with uh, one final question, which is, um, everything that you know now and all that knowledge that you've, you've banked over the years, <laughs> any, any kind of parting advice you want to give to any of the founders who are going to be listening on who have just raised a seed round or a series A um, in terms of what, what they should be thinking about or what they should be doing? To me, it's critical. And whether you're on the, on the founding team side, on the investor, like constantly be networking. It's not something you start and stop. We all get bogged down with what we need to accomplish but find different ways of building relationships and then building on those relationships to making them more of a true partnership and a true connection than just, you know, follow someone on LinkedIn or follow someone on social media, but not versus that surface connection. So always, always be networking and learn how to tell your story and enjoy telling it. Right. The first question everyone asks is, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your company. And immediately everyone goes into, here we go. And 76 Capital was founded 21 years ago. Da, 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 da. Like get really good at telling your story and enjoy telling it and understand the audience that you're speaking to. 
not everyone wants to hear your five minute overview. And sometimes your 10 second overview is not enough for what the conversation is or the audience you're speaking to. Mm -hmm. So, so welcome those conversations, but give people the energy and the passion that they want and they deserve and get really good at sharing who you are, who your company is, what you do. And ultimately you're driving to how we can potentially help each other, but it's not so transactionary that you're saying, what do you have? This is what I need. Can we figure it out? Right. You're building the relationship and getting to that common goal. That's great. Thank you so much, Chad. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your wisdom. Hopefully all the uh, listeners are going to really value it. So thank you. Thank you so much for your, your contribution here. Um, so My pleasure. everybody, everybody uh, who's going to be listening, thank you for following our, our series. It's off the record. It's a new podcast with the goal to build a community of founders and VCs around us so that they can help each other build better businesses together. So thanks again, and I'll see you next time. We are proud.